0: This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. We're back. Yes, Dave and I returned a few days ago from a four-day fly fishing trip to some of our favorite spots in montana we arrived there on a monday fished hard tuesday through friday and returned home on a saturday Uh, we thought we'd reflect a bit on that trip today for a few reasons Uh, first there's the sheer entertainment value of hearing about someone else's trip Uh, (laughs) I, i don't know i hope our trip was entertaining uh
1: it was to us
0: yeah, that's right. It's not going to be uh, anything they're going to make a movie about, but uh, uh, but yeah, we always like hearing about other people's trips, and uh, so we thought eh, that might be kind of fun. Uh, second, it, maybe it'll be the encouragement that you need to plan that next trip, whether that's this fall or next spring. And third, perhaps there are some insights that will help you catch more fish. So we're going to do some rapid fire uh, topics today. That's how this is going to go. I think we can do rapid fire, right, Dave?
1: Well, as rapid fire as we can do as two men uh, in their late 50s, or are we in our mid-50s?
0: Well, I'm pushing 59. Well, you are too, but I'm pushing it a little bit more closely than you are. So, yeah, we're late late 50s. You are my older brother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just by a few months. About four months, yep. But you were you were born I was I was born in sixty one, you were born in sixty two, so you hold that over me, don't you? Man.
1: Yeah. That's why I probably think more like a Gen Xer than I do a baby boomer at those three months.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That made a big difference. Oh man. Well, yeah, we did have a blast. And so hey, let's jump right to our first topic. Here we go.
1: The first is the weather it was actually a shock a shock to to end up in Bozeman on on that monday we got in on on labor day and the high that day was 50 degrees a day or two previously i think it'd been in the 90s in fact there were restrictions on the river about fishing one of the creeks that we ended up fishing they had restrictions that you could only fish until 2 p.m. one or 2 p.m. because of the what they call the hoot owl restrictions and And then all of a sudden it was 50 degrees. So our first day, which full day, our first full day was Tuesday. It was 50 degrees. I don't think psychologically I was prepared for that.
0: No, in fact, in Belgrade, uh, where the airport is, where the Bozeman Airport is, it's in Belgrade, it had been 100 degrees on Saturday. And then, yeah, that first day, like you said, I think the tech, actually the high was 48. Uh, we could round up to 50, but man, it was uh, it was a big drop. And then there were there had been a forest fire above Bozeman. It had burned like 7,000 acres. And by the time we got there, it was contained. In fact, uh, remember the day we arrived, there was just a lot of cloud cover over the Bridger, so you couldn't see it. But then the next day, the, there was nothing, uh, no smoke visible. But uh, that was that was a big deal. My yeah, my family physician when I lived there in Bozeman, uh, he and his. I've lost their house in that fire, so that was uh, that was a big deal. I mean, the, the the weather had made this dramatic shift, and that's a that's a good thing. But it also meant that we started off in uh, much cooler temperatures than we anticipated.
1: The temperature drop threw me off. Even though I brought layers, I dressed too warmly for our first full day. We fished the Yellowstone on Tuesday, and I, I was peeling stuff off right away, and I had you know I had my my fanny pack, I had my vest and it was like I had no place to put the the layers. and so it did throw it did the weather did throw me off a little bit and there was snow in the mountains and in fact, there was snow at some pretty low levels. And I was surprised at how far the 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 snow uh, the snow level was. In fact, when the clouds lifted on Tuesday, it was so gorgeous. Oh my gosh! The foothills had a coating of snow on it, and then obviously the high mountains did as well. It was really beautiful.
0: You know, I just thought of this, Dave. But on Monday, when we got in, we stopped at some fly shops, and we. Uh, we really didn't have time to fish. We were going to do a little streamer fishing in the Yellowstone and Paradise Valley, but it was so windy, and it was late in the day, and we just thought, "Yeah, let's just wait till tomorrow. So we drove up Mill Creek and up to West Fork where I used to hunt elk, and uh, it, I just thought of this. I remember there was a Labor Day, uh, I'm trying to remember what year it was, uh, but back in the Back in the mid to late 90s, there was a Labor Day where we got like a foot of snow up there, uh, like a couple inches in the valley, in Paradise Valley. But when we went up to hunt elk that morning, I mean, we were in like a foot of snow. This is a Labor Day. Yeah. So, I mean, the the weather that that time of year, it's always an adventure. Yeah, I think by by day two, the high was 63. And then the last two days we were there, it was uh, uh, highs in the... The mid to high 70s, so it was just it was just perfect. But yeah, kind of a crazy start. All right, so uh, well, that's as rapid as we can be. On to the next topic: the surprises. Uh, we had some surprises. One of the surprises that was not good was when we got into Yellowstone National Park, we discovered that the road was closed at Tower Junction uh i should have paid more attention i just assumed it was closed at tower fall because that's the way it's been for about the last year but now it's closed at tower junction it's going to be that way for a couple years as they uh, widen a whole section of of road Uh, so you know all of a sudden hey our, our favorite place to fish in the park is not accessible and you know, all was not lost because there's so many places you can fish, but when you do have a favorite spot, that's, uh, you know, that was tough. So yeah, that was a surprise. We, we made the most of it. Uh, honestly, we didn't do well fishing that first day. And I think it was a combination of, you know, that huge temperature drop. I think the fish were still adjusting to that. And then we, uh, yeah, we were, we were looking for uh, some new water to fish and we didn't really find what we were uh, looking for so, yeah, that, that was a big surprise, and you have to be prepared for those things.
1: I remember the first five or ten minutes after we realized what say what the road is the road is closed. There's only two more miles to where we can start walking for Tower Fall. There's a general store up there, so the road is closed with only two miles to go. And and so you're, you're, we were thinking we were going to spend two of the days fishing that whole tower fall area. And <laughs> we were lost for a little bit. So it took us a while to kind of double clutch and to go, okay. And so we fished the Yellowstone in a different section that day. And we didn't do well. I, I didn't have a fish rise to anything. We fished both streamers, nymphs, and actually I didn't throw any dries. It was all, I mean, the water was so fast it was really rugged walking. Actually that day I fell and I damaged my reel and I I wouldn't have been able to fish except I found a rock. I had this tool that I forgot to put in my vest but I found a rock and over the course of about 15 minutes of work, I got the reel to, to be unstuck again. I was able to fish the rest of the day. It was tough fishing. So that first day, Tuesday, learning that we couldn't fish at Tower Junction. The rest of the week turned out really well. But that first day was tough. I don't think you and I caught any fish, did we?
0: No, no. We, we you, you did in the afternoon. We went to another spot. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, a smaller, a smaller stream, kind of the headwaters of one of the rivers we like to fish. And, uh, yeah, you cut some on, on dries. terrestrials or dries. Yeah, and I was trying to fish streamers, and I wasn't doing you know anything, but uh, but that was so that was kind of the downer surprise. I, I'd say the last day, Dave, we had a good surprise, right?
1: We did. We fished the boulder that day. We went all the way up uh, where the actual <laughs> where the fly fisher drowned him. That's a terrible way to explain where we fished uh, above the camp. Uh, there's a camp up there, and we fished for a while. Steve, I think you got a couple rises to to. Uh, to a fly that yeah. you're fishing a dry fly but that was yeah. it and so we thought you know what it's our last day let's not waste any more time let's go farther down into the valley and so we found this uh, access point and fished uh, downstream actually because there was a a fly fisher and his wife moving upstream they had just arrived before we did and we started to fish uh terrestrials so we were fishing hoppers and 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 ants i was fishing also i had a dropper at a uh, basically a Chernobyl on the, on the top fly and I alternated between that and a hopper and then I dropped an ant. So we caught some fish on hoppers and also on some other dries and it really was a great afternoon. So that was a nice little surprise when you fish hoppers in September, it's always hit and miss, right? Or hit or miss because you just don't yeah. know. Even It was only 70 or 75 degrees, but the hoppers were definitely moving in the weeds and on the banks and the riparian zone there. But but we did catch some on hoppers and so that was a, a nice little surprise. It was a positive surprise, I guess.
0: Yeah, and they were nice fish. I mean, you caught one that was what, seventeen, eighteen inches? Yeah, that was on a, a really nice fish. Yeah, it was, it was may gorgeous. have
1: been one. Of the, yeah, it may have been one of the biggest fishes. Fishes. <laughs> it may have been one of the biggest <laughs> fish that I caught for the week.
0: Fishies, right? Fishies, yeah. fishies, baby. <laughs> yeah, you know that stretch that we fished was not that far from. Uh, you know, that house that Robert Redford had built for the horse whisperer. Actually, they just, they built the shell. They didn't, from what I understand, they didn't uh, uh, finish the inside of it. But uh, yeah, that's that whole valley. So yeah, you think about it. We were fishing just above where uh, they filmed a little bit of a river runs through it in the morning, (laughs) Redford, and then we were fishing in the afternoon where he, where he filmed some of the horse whisper, and of course, huh. that was not our intention, but uh, I just thought of that. you know, I, it's funny. it uh, you, you reflect on these things. I think in the moment, I was just wanting to fish and catch fish, but now that I look back, that was that was kind of cool. Well, All right, so
1: just one more thing. I think yeah. and this just hits me. One of the things I love about our trips is that they are not uh three-day four-day trips with a guide and nothing against that at all and and certainly those who do that should do that if they can afford to do that but what's nice is that we get to fish different rivers and we get to pivot and do if things aren't working and you get to know rivers and so over the course of you know 35 years i think you and i said that you and i first fished together fish tower fall in 1987, I was out, I think, yeah. for a wedding. I was in the middle of graduate school. I dropped out. I was in Denver. I moved back to Bismarck, North Dakota, where my parents lived. I lived with them for eight months. And I think I came out that summer. And I remember having a really, really great afternoon or evening. And I think your brother was there, too, Dave Matthewson, And we I caught so. fish yeah. on—they on, uh, were woolly buggers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So I love this idea of, of just the flexibility, and you mentioned we didn't do well in the morning, so we went further down the river, or you know, went, we were upstream, and then we went downstream. Uh, even on the day that we couldn't fish Tower Fall, we found another great river, and, uh, or another place to fish, at least. So I, I really love the idea of, of, maybe I'm saying I really love the idea of do-it-yourself fly fishing, and yeah. there's something wonderful yeah. about it.
0: There really is. And I think this was a year, too, because of the pandemic that we we, we just didn't plan to see anybody. Uh, we just didn't think it was fair to them. And and uh, one of our buddies that we were going to fly fish with, uh, things didn't work out for him that day. So actually, we uh, yeah, we didn't have much of a schedule this time. That, that was that was nice with some flexibility. Well, moving on to the next topic, uh, we don't always have this category to talk about, but we definitely do on this trip, and I'm calling this the most moving moment, and I'm going to let Dave uh, describe this. This is a, this is kind of a tender uh, moment on our trip. We decided
1: this t- this year we we're going to try the Stillwater, and some of you uh, who live out there know the Stillwater. It's a, a river that flows into the Yellowstone. It's east of Big Timber. You drive as if you're driving to Billings, Montana. You get off at Columbus, and then you go south like you're uh, going to to Red Lodge. To Red Lodge, that's right. But then you take a right-hand turn. You go up this valley uh, to a town called Nye, N-Y-E. It's not really... It's not really a town. It's two buildings, but there's also a a, a church in the valley. It's one of the most beautiful valleys I've ever
0: seen. Oh, my. Yeah.
1: And there's a mine up there. It's called the Stillwater Mine. A friend of mine has worked there for years and years and years, and I went to high school with him. I went to high school with him and his wife, Julie. In fact, I knew Julie before Carson knew Julie. I knew Julie... I think from the time I was like ten years old. And her mom and dad and my mom and dad are really close friends, even today they're they're all in their mid eighties and still alive. So I've known Julie since a you know, many, many years. Well Julie passed away about four years ago, and she's buried in the Nye Cemetery. And so I was at the funeral and went out there with my father and another friend from my class when she when she died, she had ovarian cancer. But it was the first time that I had been back with the headstone in place. Her headstone and her grave overlooks this beautiful, beautiful valley. And her husband wanted her to be buried there because it overlooks the mine where he works. And as he drives to work every day, he drives by her grave. uh, And that provides meaning for him. But it was really a moving moment. Julie was a close friend and Carson is a close friend, and their family is close friends, and uh, so so it was. It was a really, it was a wonderful moment. It was also really sad. The thing that struck me, there was another grave that was they had just dug the grave, and the observation by Steve was, "Wow, that's a lot deeper than six feet." <laughs> but imagine <Yeah. laughs> this it, being out in this rural. Cemetery. There's not a lot of people buried there, overlooking this beautiful mountain valley. It's really, it was a really moving moment. We did fish the still water that day. We had, I think, Steve caught the biggest fish of the of the week at in the still water. It's, I'm not sure it's some place we'd ever go back to again, but we might. But it's beautiful water, beautiful valley, and there's only one way in the valley and one way out.
0: I'm so glad that we stopped at uh, at that cemetery uh yeah it kind of reminds me my grandparents are buried in the short hill cemetery in paradise valley it's just uh uh you know up up on a hillside in kind of the side of a mountain in fact i shot an elk up there with a bow one year you know there's something about uh those cemeteries that uh, man they're such a beautiful place and i think just the juxtaposition of of the life that you see around you and then the reminder of death. It's really, uh, that was really a moving time. Well, a little bit lighter topic, kind of doing our rapid fire thing today, although it's, it's fire. I don't know if it's rapid or not, but uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the food and the accommodations. So I'll start with the accommodations. Uh, we often stay with friends uh, when we're out in the Bozeman area, but because of uh, the pandemic, we didn't feel like we should Anybody out, so we stayed in Livingston, kind of centrally located. Uh, Dave found a great hotel for about $75 a night, and uh, we only booked it for one night because it's like, well, we're not sure what we're gonna get, but man, that was nice. The hotel had been refurbished, uh, new flooring, the rooms were spotless, clean, and and I, mean, I, I was just really impressed and, and that just made a great uh, place. So, uh, yeah, you think about it, Dave, we basically between the two of us, uh, maybe with tax, what, maybe 40 bucks a night. That's not bad.
1: No, it's uh, not. can't do that. It, it wasn't the four seasons, but for 75 no, no. bucks a night, my gosh, it was, it was a great value.
0: Yep. Yep. Really was. And, uh, you know, as, as always, you can't control the fishing, but you can control the eating. Well, well some well, ways. Some
1: ways you control the eating. Yeah, that's right. So we so. went back and we went to some of our favorite places, and we won't say any names, those that weren't as good, but it was clear that two of the places that we love to go to had been sold because they did not have the same kind of sophistication to the menu, the taste, the service— And, and it confirmed it in one of them. I, I found, I asked the server, uh, because at the end of the meal, I'm thinking, man, this is not the same as a year ago or two years ago when we were here. And so I just off the cuff said, Hey, has this, has this restaurant been sold in the last year? He goes, yeah. I thought, boy, classic you know, yeah, the, yeah. the owners that came just simply couldn't replicate the care and the crafting and the vision that the original owners had. And man, it was clear and the prices were the same or higher. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I can say that I, I probably would never go back to both yeah. of those places.
0: It's just like fly fishing, isn't it? You know, you, you find this great run and it's good for four years or five years and then kind of tapers off a little <laughs> bit. So
1: it silts out
0: or something. But, hey, we did find uh, a couple of really good places. Uh, one of them, if you're ever in Livingston, you've got to visit the Crust and Crumb Bakery. I think it's been open about four years. It's in a little, uh, uh, kind of a little mall, if, if you want to call it that. Like a strip mall work. almost. Yeah, and then Yellowstone Sports. But, man, we ate there four out of five days. We would have eaten there the fifth day, but we had to get up really early to get on uh, some water. Uh early. So man, the the food was just terrific. And uh, yeah, that was, that was one good place. Well, they had Uh,
1: great scones. They had great caramel rolls. I had oatmeal almost every day that I was there. The oatmeal was just good. I mean, you're thinking, can you really do oatmeal well? And you're like, yes, they had this blueberry oatmeal and strawberry oatmeal. I'm thinking, my gosh, this thing, even the oatmeal tastes great. The coffee was great. Definitely. You can tell family owned crafted you know the original recipes i really enjoyed it they have i heard uh someone on facebook said oh yeah dave did you try the the pies apparently they have good pies there as well so really really good food at the what's it called the crust and crumb bakery
0: yeah crust and crumb bakery yeah and then uh Wow, we ate at the Grand Hotel in Big Timber twice, and boy, that was that was really good, wasn't it? Boy, it really was,
1: and it's expensive, but I have to tell you, there's value there, and it was there that uh, that that Steve risked and had the what do they call <laughs> it, the Huckleberry lemonade, but. The Virgin Huckleberry Lemonade, no alcohol or tequila in the in the lemonade. But yeah, I it,
0: left out the vodka. You left
1: out the <laughs> vodka. I I was yeah. going to have that with the vodka. I had a couple beers instead. But uh, but that that meal, two meals there, which is unusual for us to eat in the same place twice. It was just fabulous. And the other place I think we would recommend is is it what's it called in Bozeman, Santa Fe?
0: Yeah, Santa Fe Reds and Bozeman, it's been there a long time. That was one of our favorite places when we lived in in the Gallatin Valley. Uh well, we left 14 and a half years ago, but it's it's still really good. You know, it's funny, you talk, you laugh at my uh, huckleberry lemonade. So, here's one of these notorious stories. They had they had huckleberry daiquiris there, and so I once ordered a virgin huckleberry daiquiri. I'm just you know why I'm not, uh, you know, I'm just not that, you know, fond of, of alcohol. Sorry, but uh, so I ordered that. But my family claims to this day that I ordered a virgin huckleberry smoothie, and I said, absolutely not. I'm not that stupid. But but uh, they just insist that I did. I said, no, I ordered a huckleberry, a virgin huckleberry daiquiri. I know the difference. Yeah, I, I know that you don't have to worry about smoothies. So anyway, but yeah, yeah, Santa Fe Reds is good. It's just uh, you know, it's right there on the exit at seventh, and uh, been there for a long time. I think the food is still really good.
1: I think the so, what made I mean the chips are unbelievable. We had fished all yeah. day hard, and coming in, I was so hungry. I'd not eaten much. Oh. I'd maybe maybe two or three hundred calories that day. Coming into dinner, yes. and Oh my gosh. I was so hungry. Well,
0: I sent my wife Priscilla a picture of those chips and uh, it was the only time on the trip that I got this angry face emoji back. because She loves those <laughs> chips. Those are still her favorite. I, I should have brought some back to her, but they probably would have been crushed. All right. Oh, rapid fire. What's the next topic, Dave?
1: Next topic is our conversations on the trip. And that's what always makes uh, these trips special. We get to talk on a deeper level. I mean, honestly, on a lot of these trips, we ha- we don't even talk to each other. We're just silent in the car, uh, Steve's driving and on his phone, so I'm silent thinking I'm going to die. Actually, that's not true.
0: No, that's not true. That is absolutely
1: yeah. not true. But... Uh, <laughs> but but then there are moments where you get into these deeper conversations. I think one of the big deeper conversations, uh, one topic, is simply what we're doing now and how does that affect us for the for the next ten years. So, Steve, I thought you just I thought it'd be good for you to actually tell our listeners what you're working on right now. You just completed the revised version of your book. Um, maybe you can talk about that, and then also talk about the PhD that you've been working on for a few years, that to me is interesting or was interesting to me.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't expect to talk about that stuff today. It's not really fly fishing, but I, uh, uh yeah, about 18 years ago, well, 20 years ago, I wrote a book. It was published 18 years ago. Uh, this is for, this is for biblical scholars, for pastors. It's on preaching, teaching the stories, the narratives and the, uh, the Old Testament part of the Bible, those who are familiar with the Bible. And uh, so the publisher actually wanted a, a second edition. It's, uh, believe me, this is not selling like a Tom Clancy novel or, or Leafinger or, you know, I don't know who are the popular uh, writers today, but it's, it's just been a steady textbook uh, used at a lot of graduate schools uh, around the U.S. and even some in the U.K. And so yeah, really glad to. I uh, finished that thing up like a couple weeks before we left, and and I mean, I literally worked on that every spare moment that I had, every day off from from the beginning of May. And it was, I was my target date. Uh, I had agreed with the publisher that I'd turn it in at the end of June. Well, I turned it in uh, <laughs> about the third week of August, and and the publisher was fine, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I worked hard on that. Now what I'm trying to do is to finish a Ph.D. dissertation in, uh, in, in ancient languages. My focus is biblical Hebrew. That's what uh, part of the Bible, the Old Testament part, was written in. And so I'm, I'm working on that. It's, uh, I'm, I'm working uh, with a, uh, just a fine, well-known uh, Old Testament scholar at University of Stellenbosch. In South Africa, and one of the reasons I like working there is not only is he one of the best—I uh, mean, he's just a leader in the field—but uh, and and he's great to work with. But they have a European model, uh, you know. Here in the states, if you do a PhD, you're doing a couple years of classwork and then a dissertation. But if you, yeah, you know, if you go to the UK, if you go to Europe, I mean, friends of mine that have gone to Cambridge or Oxford, you don't take classes, you. You write a dissertation, you know, and that's that's what it is. So that's what this is, and I, I'm doing this part time, so I'm five years into it, and and will be finished, have to be finished by next, uh, by September of twenty, uh, twenty one. So that's just one of those things. It's sort of my torturous form of, uh, of, of continued learning and education. But uh, you know, I, I think too, as I continue, as I get older. Uh, may open up some opportunities for continued uh, writing and, you know, teaching. I'm a pastor. That's uh, that's where I want to stay. But but this will allow me to do some other things. So yeah, that's uh, uh, that's maybe why I need to fly fish after I <laughs> bury myself in that for a while. It's just that's the thing we we've talked about. We talked about this too. Part of our conversation was how when we're fly fishing, we're so focused on what we're doing that we're not thinking about anything else. And there's very few other things in my life that do that. Back when I used to hunt elk, uh, there were moments, you know, where you're calling and you're you're getting answers from a bull, and you're you're sneaking in on them, and they're coming towards you. That you know you're not thinking about anything else. But I don't know. I and I think you mentioned this though, Dave. That fly fishing is the one sport that. I don't know. There's just something about the whole day that, uh, you know, when we're on the river, on the stream, we're, we're just not thinking about, you know, anything else. And so, yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, that's what some of our conversation was uh, about. How about you? What uh, you talked a little bit about your business? I mean, your, your kids are kind of transitioning to. A couple of them now are college grads. They're moving into their first jobs this fall, and uh, yeah, what what are some of the things that that you shared? Uh, I thought were kind of interesting.
1: We have such different lives, and our kids, for starters, are in such different phases of life. You have seven grandchildren. I have no grandchildren. I have no kids that are even married, and my oldest kid is two young two years younger than your youngest child. So. Uh, even though we're the same age, <laughs> in a, some sense, we live in, in completely different worlds. And, and so my oldest first job this year, my daughter, Kira, who's 22, she's having a first year, so I have a 24-year-old, 22-year-old. We're moving her to Nashville. Uh, I have a, a son who's 19, who uh, is in college, and then uh, our 12-year-old. So as, I think what was interesting about our conversation is is making sure we continue to step on the gas, uh, yeah. in the f- in the final third of our working life, and not and not de accelerating uh, I honestly have no respect for people who retire and then lose lose their mind. and and uh, I just I, I just can't imagine. And I have friends that are my age and retiring. And I'm thinking, really, you, some of your most productive years are ahead of you. Now, that's not true for people who are. Uh, have physical limitations, or have had, you know, certain crises happen. But so for me, it's, it's like, I, I want to be like my father, who at 86, I think there are days he has more energy than I do. And <laughs> yeah, and he is, oh, he just has never, he was relentless. And, and there's something so wonderful about that. It creates meaning in your life. So we had a lot of conversation about, okay, how do we do this in the next third? How do we how do we uh, shape our lives so that we can be effective and and not give in to entropy? I think you have to fight that until the day you step into the grave, and and yeah. and I truly believe that. So for me, uh, there's a woman who's worked with me at my my business for twenty some years, and and she and I have started this new business, which I think I've talked about. Uh, it's called Journey Sixty Six. We have done this business under the old. Uh, brand but we have separated it out now to focus on it specifically it's publishing and helping writers and authors publish and we really launched the brand in mid-july and now we're uh really uh, siphoning over all those clients that are with my old company that are now with the new one and we're really busy and so uh it's a really good time so i i really see myself really throwing uh all throwing my shoulder into that for many many years and see that actually outlasting even the business that I'm doing now so I see it as in one sense a transition business to the next what I think is going to be my next phase of life so that just requires startup, is those of you who are in small business know how slow things develop. You also know how slow things happen in terms of financially, and you really have to be in it for a thousand days, that first three years, and you have to give everything to it. So it's going to be a delicate balance, balancing out my other business and not letting that get run into the ground or, or dying because of benign neglect while I, I step on the gas with Melissa, who's my partner, and and get this other one going so that that's that's how i see the next 10 years unfolding uh who who knows i mean it could all end tomorrow <laughs> covid yeah. certainly was a good reminder that uh-huh. uh that all planning uh is is tied to uh tied to the black swan in some ways <laughs> the black swan Damn, event man. so yeah. wow. uh
0: Well, we really did have some good conversations and that's a that's a huge part of taking a trip and taking it with somebody that's a good friend. And, uh, man, we you know, we're all about the fly fishing but we always have great conversations. All right. Our next topic. Oh, man. I don't know if I want to go here, but it's uh, it's on the script. So uh, this is not so great moments.
1: So this year, you were the source of pretty much all of those great moments. Usually, I, I am the source I of these know. moments.
0: I know. I can't believe it. That's why I'm, I'm a little hesitant. Well, okay, so here we go. One of these had to do with my reel. So, I mean, this was just a, this was an ongoing drama every day. So the first day, I forgot it. I forgot my reel. Well, I forgot the main reel I have. Thankfully, I had a reel with sink tip line. Yeah, we were fishing the Yellowstone River, and that's actually a good place, I guess, to use a sink tip with a streamer, but I just don't like to use a sink tip unless I'm I'm somewhere where uh, yeah, it's just really deep, like the, the Missouri below you know, Hauser Dam or something. But anyway, so I had to do that. And then later, remember, I borrowed your uh, reel with uh, three weight on it that you used for for uh, euro nymphing, I did that just so I could fish some dry. So, so thankfully the second day I remembered it, but I fell and I dinged uh, my reel that the second day. And and then thankfully a little bit of uh, you, yeah, because of your experience, you were able to, uh, yeah, we took a rock and kind of bent it back, and it actually worked pretty well. But then the third day, uh, we're fishing. We're catching a bunch of fish, and we're we're on this stream that this creek that is kind of tumbling down this canyon. And there's no trails along the creek. You just have to go. You have to wade, or you have to scramble over rocks. Most of them are small, but these were boulders, and we were crossing this one tricky place. You crossed it first. So I handed you my rod, but (laughs) I'm the one and I'll be clear. I'm the one who made the mistake. I, I gave you, I think I handed you my rod. So you had to grab like the upper third of it. Well, what that meant is it, what swung that the the reel is heavier. So it swings down ding uh, against the rock. And this time there was not much, uh, not much we could do about straightening the thing out yeah so, so i yeah i i, 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 I was at responsibility fault.
1: Yeah. well but i was at fault it's just that when you handed me the rod if i would have not allowed that if i would have tried not to allow the reel to drop the back of the rod it would have i would have snapped your winston
0: yeah so you you made a good choice so i guess based on that i won't ask you to uh, uh contribute <laughs> towards my new reel now to Dave, you remember the old expression, "Every cloud has its silver lining"? Yep, sure do. Well, there was a silver lining in this, and that is, I got to buy a new reel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I went into a fly shop and, you know, said, "Hey, here's how much I've got to spend," and I I had been wanting something a little more stout. I really liked that reel; it was a good. I won't mention the brand because it's a good brand, but it was just a it was just a cheaper real and i i wanted I, honestly i'd spent about 150 bucks i said i can spend between 250 and 300 bucks i'd like something that might be a little sturdier and uh, the guy gave me a couple of options that the cheapest but the one that i liked that felt best was a galvan and i've never used those a galvan g-a-l-v-a-n uh turns out that uh that Bonifacio Galvin was a machinist in the Sierras in Northern California. And years, maybe 25, 30 years ago, he he did something to his reel. He wanted to go get one and a decent one, and he was kind of shocked at the prices. So, being a machinist, he started. Uh, he made his own reel, and one thing led to another. And so, I, I really like this Galvin. So, yeah, that was. Uh, I guess that was a good outcome. But, unfortunately, the not-so-great moments don't stop there. A funnier but less costly moment was, was, so you and I ate at this little cafe in Gardner, Montana. And as we're up there, standing up there waiting to pay, I thought, I feel like my shirt's getting wetter and I see this wet spot. On my shirt, and I kept what's going on? And then I realized I'm standing right in front of a hand sanitizing machine that's on the counter that had an automatic dispenser. And I was so close to it that, that any movement I made, it would keep dispensing. So, you know, so I had, uh, I, I know one thing, my front of my shirt did not get COVID because uh, yeah, I just kept getting hand sanitizer all over me. But then maybe the worst was on the final day, on the way back to the airport, we stopped at a gas station, and and I'm filling up you know, the, the tank, and I've never done this in all my years. Uh, I grabbed some garbage out of our SUV to throw away, and I don't know why that I didn't pay attention, but I tripped over the hose, <laughs> the gas pump you know the hoses uh you know the nozzles in the gas tank i tripped over the hose and of course the first thing i thought of was oh no i hope i didn't pull it out and i looked back and i didn't but i had gone down to my knees and i didn't i didn't hurt myself thankfully but i was all this garbage I was, just went flying you know through the parking lot and thankfully you think you were on your phone in the the SUV, or you would have been out videoing this thing, <laughs> uh, I know my family would have been, but a guy asked me if I was okay, and thankfully I was, probably a few years ago I would have been embarrassed, but it's like now, it's like, okay, whatever, what a stupid thing, so yeah, those those were the uh, not-so-great moments, and yes, I was the source of every one of those, let the record show. <laughs>
1: so, was that, did you do that on Friday or on Saturday?
0: That was on Saturday,
1: yeah. I was thinking maybe you did that on Friday, because Thursday when we fished that creek where you where you broke your reel, uh, that was a tough day of fishing. We yeah, caught it was. We caught a ton of fish, but we fished as hard, I think, as we have fished probably since the last time we fished that creek. There, as you said, there just is no way up the canyon but in the river. And the river is full of these boulders. And if you're up two and a half miles and you start to walk back... It, you you don't know how hard it is to walk downstream where you can't see things, and it was oh, yeah. a tough walk back. And I was yeah, really I was, was exhausted, so I thought maybe that was Friday because that would have made complete sense to me. Because man, our legs were buzzing on those after that day uh, on Thursday.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, I guess though, when you don't look and notice that there's a hose that's uh, dangling about eighteen inches off the ground.
1: Well, let's go to the aha moments, right? So I don't know if these are all aha moments, but the one thing that always ahas me when I go to Montana these days is how crowded Southwest Montana and Yellowstone National Park was even after Labor Day. And I remember fishing it years ago where once Labor Day hit, you were pretty much alone in the park. Now that's a complete overstatement. Uh, But today it is as if it were you know the second week of August and it's discouraging actually if you like the outdoors and you want to be alone uh the maybe it was because of COVID and people more local people did trips I don't know but it was packed and we it's just it's discouraging honestly because Yellowstone National Park is one of our favorite places in the world and yet it's not going to get less busy over the next 10 years. It's only going to get more crowded which will force us out and force us to find more remote places to fish but uh, it's beautiful country but it is packed and those of you who are considering going out there and want to fish seriously need to think about going during alternative times and I know that the prolific hatches and the hoppers are Great, you know, the first couple of weeks of August, but I'm telling you, even when we were there, which is this full second week of September, it was just packed.
0: Uh, and you just have to work harder. But maybe this next aha moment is the encouragement. Uh, there are still remote places. I mean, that the, that first day we fished, and uh, you know, Tower Junction, uh, the road was closed there. We fished the Yellowstone some, but but. Had a difficult time finding water that was as, as fishable as we hoped, and and that was just more due to, uh, uh, you know, sections that we tried were kind of rugged in the canyon section and water moving fast. So we decided to go up near Indian Creek Campground up above Mammoth Hot Springs, and we uh, we actually fished the uh, the Gardner River, uh, probably not terribly far from its headwaters although it might have been a couple miles or or more uh, we would have had to walk but we fished a pretty remote stretch of it and I think again I was just struck by how vast uh, that country was I mean it just you you could see uh, you you could see for what three four five miles of just uh, open rolling sagebrush kind of hills that led to the base of some mountains and I mean, it was just stunning it's like I hard to believe that there are places like this where you can just stand out there not see not hear anything uh, for miles so that that was actually really cool
1: it was vast and where we hiked uh, we hiked away from the road and we were out two three miles and it, it was really really amazing country uh, and, and it's a ha in that aha, uh-huh, there's still places like this in Yellowstone, even after the aha, uh-huh, it's crowded. And it's yep. it's still a wonderful thing. And I think it should just motivate all of us to stay in shape, make sure we walk the extra mile, get out there because there's still some really beautiful, beautiful country out there.
0: Yep, there are. And once again, we got to hear a, a big old herd bull uh, bugling and elk bugling near Mammoth Hot Springs and uh, boy, every time I hear that that sound, it just it just takes me back to the days when I hunted about 30, 35 miles north of the park up in Paradise Valley and uh, you know had elk going like that. so that was that was cool as well.
1: Well we should talk about the fishing, don't you think? Maybe that's our next rapid fire yeah, uh, topic.
0: Yeah, that's right. We've, we've kind of alluded to this, I guess a little bit, but uh, yeah, let's just spell it out.
1: Well, day one, there was not a lot caught. I caught three or four small brook trout. Uh, Actually, they were rainbows. Small rainbows on the gardener where we went up and uh, was fishing dry. Steve, you were really not fishing. You were just using streamers. It was a small creek, but it was so fun to fish because it was a beautiful meadow with sagebrush, but also a lot of grass. and It actually reminded me a little bit of some of the, the creeks and the driftless. Uh, not without, not with the vastness, but the Creek itself and some beautiful little runs. The fish were really small and they weren't big, but it was really, really enjoyable just to be able to have those long casts and, but where you were casting, that made it great. So first day, not a lot of fish, three or four really small fish. That was it.
0: Yeah. And then day two, like you said, we hit the still water. Uh, we fished a, a section that uh just gorgeous beautiful runs but uh, our our is probably more pressure there and they just were not hitting but then when we went up kind of to the end of the road there's a gorgeous national forest campground and and we fished some uh water a lot of boulders some deep runs and yeah that's where i you know on a streamer on a just a woolly bugger caught a huge uh like a 17 inch brown that was just fatter than all get out and i think like you said it was it was probably a runner somebody had at a fly shop had said yeah you'll get some runners up there and then you caught several on dries that uh you know smaller fish but uh yeah it was uh, it wasn't a great day but we uh we had some action in the afternoon and that was uh that was good
1: it was treacherous way up there in the campground we <laughs> i mean it was it was treacherous where we went across the river on some of those pools and again, big boulders, slick rocks for, fortunately not as slick as the boulder and the, and the Yellowstone, but it was some of that hiking on, on both the second day and the third day. It was just, just a lot of work because of the type of, of stream it was with these big boulders.
0: Yeah. Yep. Well, then day three was really our banner day. And, and, uh, you know, we always hope to have one of these and we were fortunate. We fished a Creek that we fished before. Uh, it didn't disappoint us. It's, uh, the, it's, it's on private property and the the ranch owners require reservations. Uh, now they they don't charge for those, but they, they limit the number of, of fly fishers a day. And we had a friend that, uh, had made reservations I mean, way back in the spring, and and he was going to go with us, but it didn't work out. So it's just uh, the two of us, just Dave and me. And we figured out there was nobody else on it the whole day. And man, did we catch fish! And they were all, you know, 15 to 18 inch uh, rainbow and brown. And uh, I don't know that we caught a cutthroat that day, but no, oh, they uh-huh. were just. But we caught a pile of fish, and and that was they, they were all on streamers uh like you said it's a it's a tough hike back down we we did fish some on the way back but at the end of the day you're exhausted but it was worth it with all the the fish so i'd say we had one day that was just stellar and you know i think we all we dream about having four days like that but in all the years we've done it we we've had some i remember one trip where we had two we had three terrific days that's just rare that is so out rare. of four days, it is. We've had several trips, or we've had two really good days. Uh, but I'd say this was one of the few trips where we only had one really good day. But that's fine. That was enough. And uh, uh, So, yeah, so that's day three. How about day four? Day
1: four was our last day, full day of fishing. As we mentioned, we fished the boulder. And really a great afternoon on hoppers. We fished a new section of the boulder. Had never fished it. Great runs. The one thing... The boulder has in the valley is some really really great fun runs now you have to walk sometimes between the runs and the way we fish we don't spend a lot of time uh at each run but there are some uh, some nymphing runs we didn't you and i didn't spend a lot of time nymph fishing in fact i don't know that you did anything i did put a dropper and i caught a couple rainbows on that but uh but we I, i fished the terrestrials and and caught some fish and And, you know, specifically the hopper. And, uh, but it was, one, the country is unbelievably beautiful. The runs are just fabulous. I would like to go back there and and nymph fish that, really get serious about nymph fishing. Because it's some beautiful, beautiful runs for traditional nymph fishing. They may not be as good for euro nymphing, but for, for traditional nymph fishing, we also caught a couple of whitefish that day. Remember, I think yeah, I caught two right. two
0: whitefish. Yeah, I think I did as well. Kind of big, big whitefish. Big whitefish. Yeah, but you know, you I, I thought when we were fishing, I thought, man, if we would have been here a couple of hours early, I think we would have had three and a half, four solid hours of, uh, you know, of a pretty steady hopper terrestrial action, but hey now we know and that that's always part of it yeah, part uh of I, the i'm learning. just glad i'm just glad that we thought to go down there and and kind of found a new stretch of water that we really like so dave if there's a takeaway in all of this uh, today what what do you think it would be i don't know
1: i do think there's so many layers to a great fly fishing trip uh, friendship is one yeah. new country is one catching yeah. fish obviously is one uh, eating is one. I mean, it's it's yeah. a really rich, it's like a seven layer cake or like a seven bean salad, maybe. No, I'd rather say cake yeah. than salad. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I, I just think that every fly fishing trip has its share of, you know, rewards and memories and including, but not limited to catching trout. And we had a great year catching trout. Well, we had a good year catching trout. We didn't have a great you're catching trout.
0: I like that, Dave. Yeah, there are so many layers to a fly fishing trip, and that, that's why we take them, and that's why uh, we would encourage our listeners. Uh, uh, you know, plan a trip. It doesn't have to be uh, uh, you know a huge trip, but man, when you get away for say three days, three or four days, uh, uh, there's time to unwind. Uh, you, you do. You, you just experience all these different layers, like you said, friendship and fishing and and scenery and food and yeah, just just and and some funny moments and maybe some <laughs> not so great moments, but uh, uh, it's just a great experience. Well, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. So here's a comment from a longtime listener named Roger. Uh, this is what Roger writes: I just enjoyed listening to your podcast on not so obvious questions for your next fly fishing trip. Lots of great thoughts and comments there. I want to echo the idea about taking a break to give you a chance to recover. Depending on our itinerary, we plan on hard fishing every other day. That way we get a chance to enjoy other aspects of our trip while relaxing. We realize that we just aren't as young as we used to be. (laughs) (laughs) Man, we we resonate with that, Roger. Uh, That's us too.
1: What's that country western song, I'm as good once? I'm not as I'm not as I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was, or something like that. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Hey, that that works. That so works. I,
1: I, I mean, I, I do think both of us uh, are in pretty good shape. I mean, I, I consider mm-hmm. myself being in pretty good shape. I'm not in yeah. marathon shape,
0: right? Yeah. But
1: what we were able to do out there at Yellowstone. Uh, it's stuff that we were doing twenty years ago. Yeah, I, th- mm-hmm. I think that I was probably a little bit more sore. Certainly, that next day needed some Advil. But but it was the same kind of fishing I've been doing f- for my entire life, and I and I, I recognize we probably won't be able to do some of those those really you know hard days seven eight hours of pounding. But boy, I tell you, this yeah. trip I felt I felt good, and I really enjoyed it.
0: I did too. I think you're right. What we noticed is that with with, uh, you know, being in our late 50s, it's not that we, it's not that there are things that we can't do that we used to do. It's just that the recovery time is uh, maybe a little bit longer and, and the need for recovery is more noticeable, right? <laughs> and that's where our yeah. friend Roger's right. You know, take a break. You know, we, we often do a hard day than an easier day than a hard day. And, and I, I think the way it worked out this year, that, that kind of happened. Uh, because we were fishing some new water, we, uh, uh, we might have done a little bit more driving on a couple of those days. Not only we fish, we fished hard, but, you know, if, if we spent two or three hours and it wasn't good, then we'd drive to another spot on that river. And, of course, that's, that's recovery time when, when you're yeah. driving instead of walking. So, yeah, we, we totally uh, echo what Roger said. Well, that's going to do it for today. Hey, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Goetz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.